Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome in, folks, here on the Believe in NFL Drafts Prospects podcast. I'm Joe DeLeo, joined by Ryan Roberts. I'm pointing the wrong direction because this reflects it. And also Alex Gilstrap. I pointed at Alex. Thank you, StreamYard, for making things simple. <laughs> talk about a hell of an open. Here we talk about the NFL Draft, part of uh, RisingDraft.com, a comprehensive NFL Draft website with a fantastic database led by no one el- no one other than Jesse Fritch. Uh, Jesse's great at what he does. But today we're going to be talking about Derek Stingley's injury that we recently found out about today. And then we're also going to be discussing some current letdowns for the 2022 NFL Draft class. We've got some interesting names on there, so stay tuned for that coming up very, very soon. Guys, how are we doing today? We're recording on a Wednesday, which feels super weird, but... Yes. It ended up working because of the Derek Stingley stuff. But how, how's everybody doing today? Fantastic, Joe. I, I've never had a bad day. How are you? I I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm talking to you guys, so I'm I'm doing oh, fantastic. That was sweet. That was Ryan, sweet. Did you feel the love uh, <laughs> radiating through the, the, uh, the microphone? It's crazy. I can't wait. You just tell the man you're going to visit New York City potentially, yeah. and he's a uh, he gets all I'm lovey-dovey more, on me. I'm more lovey on the podcast than I am in the Twitter chat. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was just he was just thinking about coming back to the Northeast because he hates his life out in LA right now. I do. I, if you listen to the FCS pod, which I know Alex doesn't but you do ryan no. uh, I, I talk about it every week about how much i hate living in los angeles and it was one of the biggest mistakes that i've ever made but i've never i've never <laughs> wanted to go to los like i will i'll go to san diego san diego sounds like a good san time goes very nice and i los might move angeles, down there yeah los angeles nah i'm good man i don't need to visit that spot there are no redeeming qualities to los angeles <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry if any listeners are from la but it's overpriced. It's covered in smog. It's smelly. It's dirty. There's literally the only positive is that all the entertainment's out here, and you can do everything remotely now. So it's completely pointless. Have you guys um, ever? Um, have you guys? I'm sorry. We're going off on a little bit of a tangent. Okay. Now. I know you get to an ad read and actually start talking about football for a second in a second. But have you guys ever seen South Park? You you like South Park? Yeah, I, I used to watch that religiously. Do you remember when um there was like that thing they were um. They everyone I think moved to San Francisco or something like that, and all the yes. smog, the smog came over. It wasn't smog; yes. it was smog, but it was fantastic. I, it's I know. the same thing. It's yes. exactly the same thing. Everyone here is incredibly rude. Like people from Philly, New Jersey, and New York, they're assholes, but at least sure. they're genuine. Like it's it's very different. It's hard to explain, but the, I have had nothing but bad interactions. Authentic with assholes. Yes, I'd rather you be an authentic asshole. Uh, so before we get to, to today's discussion, I just want to tell you folks about bet online. We're back in better than ever with the season almost 
halfway through. We've got a lot of college football action and NFL action that has been rolling. All eyes are on the gridiron right now. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all of your pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface with more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to their website to use, sorry, or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, guys. So the the thing that we were hit with this morning is news surrounding an NFL draft prospect that is considered to be a first round talent is in the conversation of top two at the cornerback spot uh, was a stellar freshman performer, but is not going to be finishing his season though here in 2021. We're referring to Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU. He recently had a medical procedure done on his left foot, a foot that he injured over the summer. And he's been out over the last two weeks. Oh my God. Where did that cat come from? <laughs> we're getting cat appearances on the i'm sorry for anyone who's, who's listening on audio but we're there's just a cat if you want to go see it on the on the video version i was swiping between documents only to swipe over and see the cat um but guys Derek stingley obviously when you have a first round talent we have to talk about the fact that he's he's done for the season he's not going to be able to play for the remainder of the year i have not seen an indication that if he's going to just straight up declare or not i'm sure that's something that it's probably going to happen, and he's probably waiting on the right time to do it and is already in communications with his agent at this point. But I want to dive into what this means for us and his draft stock. Ryan, let's head to you first. Do you think this is going to have a major impact on anything for Derek Stingley, or has the tape been at least quality enough that he'll he'll stay around where he is, uh, where he's been projected? Derek Stingley is going to go top 10, no matter if he would have played this year, um, whether he's injured, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, when you are a guy that is six foot plus, four three speed, and has ball skills and ball production that he has had throughout his career, he's going to go early. There's no doubt. I don't think that anybody would even question that at this point. I think the question, though, is is I've seen people put him in, hey, this guy, if he's not the number one player in the class, he's number two player in the class. And I think we need to pump our brakes and take a step back for a second. I thought for a minute that since he's been a guy since 2019 when he was had the, maybe the best freshman season a cornerback has ever had, at least in recent memory, that maybe I was just getting to the point where I had just seen too much Derek Stingley. I had, he'd been on the mind. He had been just in front of us too often, and we get kind of like jet-lagged on him. We're just like, all right, man, Like I, I get it. He's a really good player. But let's be honest – 2020, dealing with an injury, I get it, naggy injury that year, was not great. Like It was good. It was solid. It was a very solid year after a phenomenal year. Then this year, early on, he's not great either. Like Let's call it what it is. Like is. He's, he's been up and down for the last two seasons. So I don't think that Derek Stingley is the head and shoulders best cornerback in this class. I think it's going to be a heavy debate. I think that, that it is definitely not something that is set in stone. As for your question, though, Joe, 
Is it going to affect his draft slot? I don't think so because I think we might have a really we're have a really talented quarterback class. I think there's two to three guys that could be in the top ten range. So I don't think that it's going to affect Derek Stingley in that regard because I think that he's going to go top ten. His athletic profile is going to give him the opportunity and a foot injury. Let's hope that he gets the timetable that he's able to test before the draft because I know that he is going to test phenomenally and he's going to knock that part of the of the conversation and the evaluation out of the park. So it's not going to it's not going to stop him from being a top ten pick. It's nearly a setback, and this I mean. Is he going? Is he going to declare? Is he going? He's going to declare. He's going to declare. He's going to be a top ten pick, slam dunk. But I don't. I don't. And I don't think that the injury is going to curtail his draft stock too much. Yeah, I really think that the, this Derek Stingley evaluation is getting muddier and muddier over time. Because what we saw in 2019 is someone that uh, this is the obvious number one, you know, defensive player in his class. We, you know, we were talking about this in 2019. And it was because as a true freshman playing at LSU on the national stage when they won the national championship, he was their best corner when they had Christian Fulton, some, you know, who some thought was, you know, a, a first round corner, uh, you know, as a 18 year old. So 2020, like you said, Ryan, it's the COVID season. There's, you know, the, the, the full off season is not to the degree that it typically is. On top of that, you stack, uh, you know, a, a nagging injury that he dealt with the whole season this year, dealing with his foot is, issue. We haven't seen this this guy and Derek Singley play fully healthy since his true freshman season, which feels like a decade ago. I feel like we've been talking about yeah. Derek Singley for ages, and that's just because he came onto the scene so young, which you just don't typically see at the cornerback position, especially at a program such as LSU. So, uh, you know, as a true freshman, so I think he's going to be a top ten pick regardless. Like you said, the, yeah. the movement skills at his size with the ball production he's had is going to warrant a top ten selection, but. There is uncertainty with him. I mean, like I said, he's dealt with some injury. Uh, I don't think there's a surefire guy like he was, you know, talked about to be. And I feel like we deal, deal with this all the time. Trevor Lawrence was the perfect quarterback prospect a couple years before he declared, you know, his 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 eligible first eligible year. It's just what we do with these guys. We see them pop off early in their their collegiate career, and we we think that they're perfect. And then as you know, their their college years wear on, we start to pick more holes. Or in Derek Stingley's case you know, he starts to deal with these nagging injuries and there's, you know, not as consistent play uh, at, at certain times throughout his career. So I just don't think this is quite the, you know, blue chip, you know, uh, top five obvious CB1 prospect that we thought he was going to be a couple years ago. Um, yeah. And it, it doesn't help his case that I think this is a pretty strong cornerback class at the top, especially with the top three. It's it's a similar conversation, and I'm I've actually been a victim of this, so I am guilty um, of you know of this for to to a degree because I kind of have been holding on to the 2019 version of Keaton Slovis, the quarterback for USC now, and he has suffered similar fate. He's been hurt, and it's been kind of up and down his performance since then. And I kind of had to have a realization with myself uh, recently where I'm just like. I need to take a step back from Keaton for a second. I still am a fan of him. I still think that he can get back to that player, but you, you're you're evaluating a player that you're holding on to tape that is two years old. Like NFL scouts are going to go into this process and they're going to watch Derek Stanley, the couple games he played and maybe a couple of the games from 2020. And that's all they're going to watch. 2019 doesn't matter anymore. I, I, I made the metaphor on Twitter today. You're going to a used car lot. Why are you go, like you're not going to ask a guy at a used car lot 
How, how did it run in 2019? Who cares? It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> we need to be real with ourselves, man. The player that is on tape this year and last year might be what Derek Stingley is now. And that might be predicated a little bit to the injuries that he suffered. It might have something to do with it. But either way, what have you done for me lately? We need to. I think we just all just need to take a step back and evaluate the player for what he is. 2019 doesn't matter anymore. What Derek Stingley is right now is the player that we're getting moving forward. So that's a pretty comprehensive look into what to expect from Derek Stingley. And, and I, I like that we took the multiple angles there because I, I don't think it's – it might not necessarily just be a clear-cut answer, but it's a really good point, Ryan, that we can't just be hung up on that 2019 tape if he hasn't necessarily done that consistently because there's been two years in between and now an injury-plagued season as well. So – Stingley is going to be a fun talking point, and I'm sure it's going to be one that is uh, very volatile in terms of his draft stock that is going to be a swinging pendulum from one end to the other just because there's going to be the consistent overreaction that we get with injured top-quality prospects. So I, I want to get into our, our remaining discussion here, which as I, I led into in the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about biggest letdowns of the 2022 NFL draft class. We, we've had five weeks already, six if you include the teams that played in week zero, to see some of these draft prospects play in big matchups, to step onto the field and, and showcase their abilities to a point where we can understand and expect what these guys are doing and also still give them enough time to maybe recover a little bit and to, to work around some of these, these struggles that they have. So leading into the first guy that's been a major letdown that I, I feel goes in line with his entire team, except maybe a couple guys, is Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M. Texas A&M has not been good this year, and we haven't really seen much from Weidermeyer. So why did you pick him, Ryan, as your first player? Well, I mean, I, I wanted to stop talking about Emory Jones, you know, draft Twitter's <laughs> one. Um, well, honestly, though, what my first thought was for a second, and if you would ask me this a couple weeks ago, I probably would have said Jaleel Billingsley from Alabama, a different tight end. But of oh, course, he's finally out of the dog. He's out of the doghouse now. He's starting to he's starting to produce. He is on what looks like Nick Saban's good side now. So thank thankfully he is back to that tight end one conversation. Jalen Weidermeyer is a guy that has been super productive. If you haven't followed the story, Baylor Cup was actually the top tight end recruit coming out of high school football. The Texas a he went to Texas A&M also. He's still there. And Weidermeyer was in the same class as Baylor Cup, and he was the much less – well, I shouldn't say less recruited because he was still a four-star player. But he was a lesser-known, lesser-recruited tight end prospect in the same class going to the same school. Cup has been dealing with injuries over the last couple of years. Weidermeyer takes the reins and has not let go since. To, for two years before this season, he was an All-American candidate, All-SEC candidate. People were really excited because he's six foot five, 260 pounds, big hands, strong in the air, a lot of good things to like about Jalen Weidermeyer. I wasn't the biggest fan of Weidermeyer in the summer because, one, I thought blocking-wise, I thought it was very lackluster and not great for a guy his size. And then I, th I didn't th think that he was the most dynamic athlete of all time. So I think that he was a guy that was just going to win in the air purely. I didn't see great chops as a route runner, didn't see an explosive linear athlete. So I was a little lower on him, but he has been a guy from media up into the NFL ranks has been talked about a guy first two rounds. Like that is the potential for Jalen Weidermeyer. And he starts the year off 
decently. He has like, I think he has four receptions in each of the first three games. So I'm like, okay, guys, production. That's good. He's always productive. Can't wait to see the tape. Then over the last two weeks, when Texas A&M has really hit their struggles, really hit their struggles, they look bad right now. And they, yeah, especially that Arkansas game, it was really ugly. But they hit a struggle, and he has three receptions in two games for like 33 yards. And as the guy that is the unquestioned top pass catcher, you expect a whole lot more. And I think now that if Jalen Watermeyer is not producing at a high level, which he is not right now, then I think that the other parts of his game, the lackluster blocking and the inability as an athlete to out-athlete second and third level defenders is going to be highlighted more. Because at the end of the day, it's all about production. If a guy produces and he produces and maybe you know his traits aren't fantastic, but like maybe he's just a really good football player. If Jalen Weiermeyer is not producing, then the negatives in his game, the hiccups in his game, I think are going to be evaluated even closer as they should be. And I think that he has been off, especially over the last few weeks, to a very slow start. And I think that it's really clouding how good this tight end class is because I think that Jalil Billingsley is still in the top for me. I think that guys like Kate Otten, Trey McBride from Colorado State, I said in the preseason, I think that he can overtake Jalen Widermark because they're similar football players. And I think Trey McBride's just a better version. There are tight ends right now that I think are going to pass over Jalen Weidermeyer if he does not start to pick it up. And I think that he's going to be a faller in this tight end class. So before Alex, you chime in, they've had some problems at quarterback, specifically yeah. injuries, Haynes King, Zach Helzada, a lot of inconsistency just at who's back there throwing passes. Sure. Do you account that at all into the, the situation of him not producing whatsoever or do you think it goes a little deeper than that i think it goes a little deeper just because i i mean obviously there is some context to that conversation if it was a wide receiver specifically an outside receiver i would take that into a much higher account but for me a big body tight end that's a security blanket and for me he's getting opportunities he's getting targets he's just not being a consistent football player right now so I think that there is context, and I think that it's a great note to kind of just throw out there, Joe, because the quarterback position has not been good for Texas A&M. But I think it runs a little more deep, deep than just their maybe being a little below, well, little, but with their being below average quarterback play right now. Yeah, I mean, here's my point on Jalen Waterman. I was low on him coming into the year, and like you said, Ryan, for. Uh, you know, someone that had the expectations that he did, it's just been disappointing. And that is especially true uh, since they hit the SEC schedule the past two weeks against Arkansas and then Mississippi State this past week. We've seen his targets cut in half, which targets, you know, that, that's, not a, that's not a stat that you want to follow and, and put much weight into. But three drops on the year versus his 15 catches, that means 20% of the passes in his vicinity – uh, have been drops and uh, yeah, do the math. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So uh 20% drop rate on, you know, when you compare it, when you, when you, uh, you know, add in the receptions that he has had on the year. So only 15 receptions to three drops. That's not what you want out of the tight end position, especially when he's just not the dynamic athlete uh, that, that, you know, a lot of these other tight ends are, you know, Jaleel Billingsley, Kate Auden is a, is a plus athlete athlete at the position. So some of these other tight ends in a in a decent tight end class just have more athleticism, more upside, and and I just see to Joe's point what you said, Joe, talking about the quarterback position and how it impacts doesn't doesn't matter for drops. Drops are on Jalen Watermeyer. Quarterback position has nothing to do about that. And then the bigger thing for me is the the run block the, the run blocking. 
uh, for Jalen Watermeyer. So it has nothing to do about the quarterback change. This guy has only been in play for 15 rushing snaps on the year. That's through five games. Wow. Fun stat. That's a good yeah. stat. Good, good stat. stat. 15. Wow. That tells you what the, the confidence level this coaching staff has in him as a run blocker, that they're willing to take him off the field aside from 15 snaps, including zero against Mississippi State and only one against Arkansas. So Put that on SEC, Twitter. Put that SEC, on Twitter. That's yeah, or, did you fly, or did you find that on Twitter? <laughs> no, no, no. This is the stat I found myself. Oh, so, okay. So since Arkansas in week four, the two SEC games, he has been in for one rushing snap. That This is just not a run blocker. And when you don't have dynamic athleticism like some of these other guys do, this is just something you can't hang your hat on and be confident in, in as well as his translation to the NFL. So the next guy that you want to bring up here, Alex, and do we have visitors? What's going on back there? <laughs> we have a live viewing audience. Oh, and we're losing Alex Killstrap. So we were just going to go to uh, Alex's next player. But this is another guy who is similar to Jalen Weidermeyer, is playing on a team that is underperforming, not the level of Texas A&M, but this, this Oklahoma team has been struggling thus far. And there's been some cause for concern with Spencer Rattler, but we refuse to talk quarterbacks on this show. <laughs> on this show. Uh, but... You picked Eric Gray, Alex, as your first underwhelming player. And if we're just click, clicking into his stats, the guy's only rushed for 245 yards on 49 rushing attempts. That's good for 3.8 yards per carry, no touchdowns. This is a team that you would expect to be able to have some explosive plays, put a player like that in space, and ironically left a, you know, a, a Tennessee offense that seems to be doing maybe a, a little bit better running the football. So why did you pick Eric Gray as your underwhelming player? Yeah, so for me, you know, Eric Gray, obviously you touched on it. Tennessee uh, running back transferred to Oklahoma. And look, I was coming into the year, so he was my RB2. This is a dynamic athlete. This is what you wanted to position as far as receiving ability, rushing ability, burst to the second level. Uh it's just been underwhelming. Like you said, a lot with this Oklahoma offense, you know, Eric Gray's inability to get loose and really take that next step in this offense that I feel like is more spread out than what he was able to get at Tennessee, where I thought he was going to, uh, you know, really propel himself was, you know, when in the spread out offense, you know, Tennessee is very closed off. There's not a lot of weapons aside. Uh, from what Eric Gray was able to provide at Tennessee, but he goes to Oklahoma where there's there's receiving talent, there's a you know feasible passing game uh, available to him, especially you know with Spencer Rattler and the projection we had for him moving forward. I really thought that this was this was the time that Eric Gray was going to take that next step because I just love his ability in open space and really I just I just see someone that just hasn't been able to take advantage of of his opportunity here in this you know moving on to Oklahoma so. Eric Gray's just someone that's disappointed me just because of the expectations I had set forth for him. Um, it's just someone that I think will get the ball rolling. There's obviously Kennedy Brooks there that's taken away from him, but it's just been a little bit of an inefficient running game for this Oklahoma offense. And I felt like Eric Gray had a lot more upside coming into the year. Man, as soon as I heard Ben Solak was a big Eric Gray fan, I'm like, I'm out. Uh, I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, shout out to Ben Solak. Um, Eric Ray, I was high on him too, Alex. I think I had my fourth ranked guy in this, uh, this summer, something like that, four or five. So I, I was also an Eric Ray guy. So I'm a little, 
I'm a little disappointed that he hasn't gotten off to a great start. I think there's a lot of context to it, though. I really do think there is. I think there's inefficiency all over the place. We talked about Spencer Rattler and just the ineffectiveness um, that he has had at the quarterback position. And when you're not throwing the football well, teams are going to crowd the run game. Like, it's just going to happen. I think the offensive line has not been great. They moved Tyrese Robinson out to right tackle as a six foot three, three hundred and thirty pound offensive lineman, which is like an odd fit. I don't. I feel like the running game is not getting any favors from the offensive line play. I feel like the offensive line isn't hasn't been great. I feel like the passing game has been very inconsistent. So I think that it's just it, he's a part of a machine right now that is not working very well. I mean, honestly, I don't think that it's it's a deficiency of talent in the in the in the you know in the area of Eric Gray. I just think that when we're really looking at it, he just it, the whole offense just has struggled. He's been a part, he's been a cog in the machine. So we need to see: is this a guy that ends up going back for another year? Because I think we need to also remember he's only a true junior and he's only a first-year player at Oklahoma. Maybe he comes back in 2022. Then he's one of the next wave in a really great running back class. It looks like in 2022. I just feel like the transition period for Eric Gray just hasn't been smooth for a lot of different factors. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. I mean, it's just, oh, when you come into the season with such high expectations, I know you were higher on him than in consensus, but this is this was one of my guys I was hanging my hat on, so it really hurts me that he, you know, in an Oklahoma offense where we've seen running backs play better than expectations, he just hasn't been able to quite do that to this point. For sure. So the, these first two guys were players that I think by a lot of people were in contention for top five at their specific position groups. And the next one that you picked, Ryan, was a, a little bit more of a sleeper, but a, a, a very highly talked about sleeper. And, and that specifically is Zion Nelson, the Miami offensive tackle. And the one thing that everyone I kept hearing them mention is, you know, the guy was really underweight when he came in and then he's bulked up and he looks really good now. And again, similar to these other teams, Miami has just not been good this year. Uh, yeah. They've been dealing with injuries, but they have just been straight up bad. And a clear indication of that is not being able to beat Virginia, which you would expect a, a Miami team to be able to do so. Why did you pick Zion Nelson, though, separate from the points that I just led into there? Yeah, I mean, in the summer scouting of offensive tackles, I, we kind of coupled Zion Nelson and Charles Cross from Mississippi State together a little bit because those are the developmental guys. Which one's going to take the next step? Which, which is going to be the big rise from the group. I don't think Charles Cross has been that guy either to this point, but Zion Nelson really disappoints me because he is a guy that's six foot five, 315 pounds. Like you said, came in, he was a 240 pound senior. He's 260 pounds when he got on the campus, was forced into action because there just wasn't another guy at left tackle. And he had his struggles. 2020, I felt like there was a lot of good tape. I, I felt like it was, you know, it was scattered. It was still up and down a little bit, but he didn't let up a sack during 2020. You're like, okay, this type of athleticism filling into this weight now has this massive frame, 35 inch arms. You're like, I can do something with that. Right. And I gave him a third round grade in the summer, which is like tentative. It's not like a big grade or anything, but I'm like, but this guy could be that mid to late first rounder, second rounder. Like this could be the riser. And I've just been watching live over the last few weeks in Miami because I feel like they're always on TV because they're still a big brand, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm i going to hold my judgment until I get the old 22, I get the coach's film. But, man, he just looks very – he looks like the same guy to me. He looks like the same guy. So, for me, he is a late day two, early day three type of offensive tackle right now with developmental upside – 
but he just hasn't gotten there. Like it just has, he hasn't taken a step. He took a massive step from 2019 to 2020, 2020, 2021 just kind of looks like the same guy. So it's not so much that he has regressed. It's just that I haven't seen any development out of him. He's still the same pure projection that he was entering, um, entering the season this year. Yeah, I, you know, going back to the Alabama game, because I feel like that's a big circle for for his evaluation. I didn't hate what I saw. There was definitely some big negative plays, yeah. but it was fine, especially when you all things considered, you know, he's really the one focal point that Alabama had to focus on, you know, out of, you know, threats on the Miami offensive line. But it's just gotten worse over time, I feel like. I feel like as the season's dragged on, and we're only through week five, and I, I just feel like we've, we've kind of seen a constant downslide, of course, Michigan State was his worst game of the year, in my opinion, week three. Um, you know, just looking at, you know, watching it live, you saw Jacob – I don't know how to say Michigan State. Uh, um, Panisak yeah. or something? Yeah, it's something like, you know, their captain yeah. guy that's that's big on their defensive line. Their captain guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't say his <laughs> He name. also spells Jacob wrong. I mean, Yeah, he like does. It's, it's all wrong. Jacob, There's no but... way of pronunciating it right. It's just one of those. He yeah. uh, kind of ate his lunch money throughout the game, and that's someone that I just don't think is really all that good. So that was really concerning uh, for his evaluation. I think he had four quarterback pressures and two sacks he gave up in that Yikes. game, which yeah. is not not good. Hashtag not good. Um, you know, so Virginia this past week, another two pr- two quarterback pressure, gave up another sack. I, he's already matched sacks given up. He's he's passed his quarterback curries that he had on the season in 2020. So I just feel like this developmental uh, guy who we came into the season kind of, you know, we felt good about that projection and that, you know, of that development. He's kind of taken a step back, I feel like, in my mind as a pass blocker. So uh, from a production standpoint and the, the pressures and sacks he's given up to this point. So hasn't been good for him. Not the steps you wanted to see, not the strides you wanted to see from Zion Nelson in 2021. I feel like he's just a guy that his – He's a he's a um, positional blocker. So what that means is basically he's going to get his body in the right spot, the right position, but he's not a finisher. I feel like there's no mean streak to him, and I really want to see something, man. Like I feel like every block is the same. Gets in the right spot. Sometimes he gets overpowered because he's still developing to his body. But like I just don't see anything about him that says like that's a dog. That's that he's got nastiness to him. And then offense tackle position, offense line position. Like you need that a little bit. And I just feel like there's a tentativeness and a passiveness to a guy like Zion Nelson right now for whatever reason. Well, I'm sure he can learn a thing or two from uh, former Miami Hurricane Eric Flowers, and maybe he can make up for the that aggressiveness by learning how to trip people. That that tends to work for some guys. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> last guy that we have here to talk about on the show is uh, is from Alex. You picked Brandon Joseph the defensive back from Northwestern. And, and last cycle, we had Greg Newsom turn into this out-of-nowhere out riser. I, I felt like he wasn't really in the discussion until that final month where everyone's like, man, this guy's good, and then he ends up going in the first round. And coming into this cycle, I was perplexed a little bit to, to see you guys talking about another Northwestern guy. I'm like, how many times does this happen where we have back-to-back years with a possible first round, uh, early second round, prospect coming from Northwestern and and Brandon Joseph seemingly has not lived up to the hype that we've already projected upon him in a safety class that is very, very strong. And some of these other safeties might be passing him by. So why did you pick Brandon Joseph as our final disappointing prospect? 
Yeah, so the hype for Brandon Joseph really stemmed from his elite ball production in 2020, coming on as a redshirt freshman, led the country in the condensed season with six interceptions. So very impressive, especially for a redshirt freshman with limited playing experience to have that level of ball production in the Big Ten. Um, so 2021 has been a different story for him. Um, seven missed tackles to this point through five oh, games. No. Oh, no. Not good. Um, he has been targeted 17 times, giving up 16 receptions. Wow. So, um, you know, for, for someone who was, you know, that the hype was predicated on his ability and coverage, uh, giving 16 out of 17, you know, 94% reception percentage there, <laughs> completion wow. percentage there is, is not promising. Uh, the one pass intended his way that, uh, was not completed was actually completed to him. His one interception on the year has not, uh, you know, uh, defended a pass. It's been either the guy catches it or, you know, the one interception he has against Ohio. So, you know, obviously <laughs> some context there. So how dare you? Yeah. You. So, you know, Bobcats. No, right. No, we're making fun of the Bobcats on this. Also, podcast. who who would have thought that Alex is the analytics guy coming over here with this? Uh, yeah, he just, got, just <laughs> got PFF pulled up on this. Oh, I do. I do. I do. I got oh. PFF advanced stats. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the cat are you using? Is but this is, but I, I plan for this. This is how I, this is how I came across it. No, so, it, it, you're doing a better job than right now. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the seven tackles miss isn't as surprising to me as the 94% completion percentage he's given up just because coming into the year, it was based on his coverage. He, he's not a physical, uh, you know, uh, guy on the back end, you know, he's, sub 200 pounds he's not known for that physicality on the back end what he's known for is his ability to cover space and and you know get his hand on the football one way or another whether that's turning the ball over or deflecting the pass away from the receiver so to see you know nebraska you know go two for two passing uh or excuse me one for two passing you know duke is lighting him up michigan state's lighting him up you know uh, indiana state was four for four passing against them so this is just not quite the the coverage defender that we we saw in 2020 and so there there is some hesitancy there i think in a safety class such as this one that we look like we're going to have especially um this is not the kind of start to the season brandon joseph needs to have because there's safeties such as you know uh, uh you know brisker from uh penn state i couldn't think of his first name off the Jaquan. Jaquan, Jaquan, Jaquan brisker um you know you, you have daxton hill who's been very impressive over the last couple weeks especially as a leader of that Michigan Wolverine defense, of course, Kyle Hamilton, you know, Lewisine, you, you just, the list goes on and on of the safety class. So really excited about the safety class. And for Brandon Joseph, who I came into the year as my safety two based on that ball production, because turning the football over, especially, you know, as a defensive back, I mean, that's, that's what you want. The ability to make big plays. Uh, you know, we talked about this with Andre Cisco last year. And while we were both, especially you, Ryan, were so high on him, was his ability to make the big play, the splash play to get the offense back on the field. So really excited about Brandon Joseph coming into the year. Not the best start to this point. So looking for him to rebound as we get into more Big Ten action. Not only did you insult the University of Ohio, you also decided to insult FCS Power, Indiana State's Sycamores. I can't yeah, believe Indi- Indiana State sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, they do. Um, Brandon Joseph, man, I have not seen the film, so I don't have a ton of context. Right. I will go by what Alex is saying as far as the numbers. The numbers are ugly. I had a late first on him in the preseason. I am a Huge fan of Brand Joseph for what he put on film in 2020. Um, 
I would like to see how much of his struggles is him trying to make up for the fact that everybody else around him is not great right now because they lost Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher and Ernest Brown and there's a, uh, Greg Newsome. There's a lot of guys that left from that 2020 unit that was fantastic. So I would like to see a little of the context just as far as like why the struggles are happening. But I'm still going to hold out hope for Greg. Obviously, those numbers kind of speak for themselves right now. He's not off to a great beginning of the year. And I think it's a great point, Alex. Maybe the best point is the fact of like, hey, he's also a part of what could historically be one of the best safety classes we've seen in a little bit of time. So, All right. Well, that is our four players that we feel have been the most disappointing so far. On a lighter note, next week we will do the biggest surprises for guys that have just randomly popped up out of nowhere and have looked really good so far this season that'll take a little bit of extra tape watching and going back and re-observing who those prospects might be so stay tuned for that uh folks thank you for tuning in be sure to hit the subscribe button on our youtube channel as well as wherever you're listening for your podcast feed and also leave us a five-star review thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you soon Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.